At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Let's pray, uh, family. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, the Lord, when this world seems to have failed us. We thank you that we can have confidence in you. Lord, not only is our our wealth in the cross, our trust in the cross, our hope is in the cross, the Lord, not surely in this fallen world uh, that presents us with so many challenges. Thank you that we have something that transcends uh, this world and this life our Savior, ever-present, ever-strong, ever-loving. And so, God, we thank you. We give you praise. And it's in Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. And all of God's people said a big amen and amen. You can be seated. Give God praise in this place today. Well, let me uh, welcome you, uh, both those of you who are in person and online And I know you guys clapped earlier when Matt said that our student and kids programming is coming back, but how many are fired up for our kids that they get a chance to come back and experience it? I love that we've been able to have this kind of family style of worship together, but I know our kids are yearning for that time. And so we're excited as we go into the fall, working out all the final details. We want to make sure we have a safe and fun environment, uh, but we'll get those nailed down and we'll look forward to what the weeks ahead ahead, uh, have in store for us. Got to give a couple birthday shout outs this morning. First, yesterday I got a chance to celebrate the 10th birthday of the coolest 10 year old I know, my son Cameron, just turned double digits. He's a man now. So big shout out to uh, my son, Cameron. Daddy loves you. Also, Kristen Gray, who uh, helps to uh, do our production directing here for each service. We love Kristen. She is uh, celebrating the birthday this weekend. Can we give Kristen a big, big hand? Promise her I would not sing. I would not sing because every time I do, I lose friends. So I will not sing this morning, but happy birthday to Kristen. Also, a couple of families that I would love for you to pray for. How many thank God that we are a family here? So that means that when we go through trials, we don't go through alone. So I would love for you to pray for Brad Holsey and Sherry Holsey. The Holsey family are so special to my heart, hopefully to those of you who are part of our family as well. Sherry's dead, passed away a little bit over a week and a half ago now, and that comes on the heel of her mom passing a few months ago. So losing a parent is tough. Losing two parents is even tougher. So if you guys could be praying for the Holsey family, that would mean the world to me and I know to them as well. Also, uh, Jamie and uh, Pam Malesko. The Malesko family have been a part of our family for a few years now and uh, they're so special to us here. They were up north a few weeks ago when the neighbor called them and let them know that their house caught on fire. And unfortunately, the fire destroyed and devastated just about everything. So they're rebuilding those things right now. So if you guys can be praying for them as we try our best to come alongside of them. You know, trials will come. And these are difficult situations to face for anyone. But again, one of the joys of being a part of a church family and what we've tried to emphasize over the summer as we've studied through the Psalms 
is about the importance of connection. One of the joys of that is that when trials come, we don't have to go through them alone. And so how many can join me in praying for Jamie and Pam and their awesome kids in this season? How many can do that? Amen? Amen. Uh, with that being said, I'm really excited to be able to uh, share in God's Word with you uh, today. Today we get a chance to uh, look into uh, the Scriptures and be able to uh, learn and grow uh, from them. You know, as I was preparing for the message today, I thought about how many Woodside families I know that are going through pretty intense trials, and I thought it'd be good for us to be able to address that. But before we do, let me start by asking a question. Have you ever had a moment in life when someone gave you uh, some good advice, some really good advice that didn't feel good in the moment? Maybe you didn't like it at all. I can't help but to think about a time when a friend of mine said, Chris, you know, if you really want to lose weight, all you have to do, there's no way to end that sentence well, but if you really want to lose weight, all you have to do is just change your diet and eat less. Now, I can't tell you what went through my mind when they said that because i get in trouble if I did. But what I will tell you is that the advice that my friend gave in that moment didn't feel good. As a matter of fact, it felt kind of annoying. But as I thought about it more and more, how many you know that is really good advice? That that's good advice. I think about when I was fresh out of college, got my first job, and I get a call from my dad. And my dad is this proverbial dad who always has wisdom for every moment. And my dad calls me up and he says, son, you're about to start making money for the first time now. So here's my advice to you. Save as much as you can and live off of as little as possible. Let me just tell you, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. The thing that kept running through my mind is that I've been a broke college student for four years. The last thing I want to do is save money. I want to spend money. Uh, again, the older I get, though, the more I realize that that was really good advice, even though it didn't feel good in the moment. Well, today, I'm going to give you some good advice for bad times. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you that it doesn't necessarily feel good. It may not feel good in the moment, but we're going to look to God's Word and see some really good advice. And I believe the more you ponder and reflect on God's Word, the more you're going to agree with me that this is good advice for bad times. Let's go to the book of James, if we will. Book of James, we're going to look at chapter 1 in the book of James. Now, James is a book that is worthy of our attention for so many reasons. One of the reasons why we should study James is because of who he was. James is the brother of Jesus. He grew up in the home of the Messiah. He had a front row seat uh, to Jesus, and that alone should cause us to have intrigue and pay attention to this book. But James is also important for us to study because it's wisdom. He gives us wisdom. James is wisdom literature in many ways. It is a cousin, a New Testament cousin, in my opinion, to the book of Proverbs, which means that James is concerned not just about our proclamation of the faith, but our demonstration of the faith. For James, he wants to see our faith in action. It is important to James that we not just talk to talk, 
but that we walk the walk as Christians because the world needs to not only hear our testimony, but they need to see it, the presence of Christ in our lives lived out. Maybe the climactic verse of the entire book of James is chapter 2, verse number 17, where he declares that faith without works is dead. That's what James is after. He wants your life, my life, the life of the earliest followers of Jesus to reflect the presence of Christ so that others might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Now, James is a man who does not mind sharing his opinion of this little powerful book. There are 108 verses, and of those 108 verses, 54 of those verses are imperative statements. Now, an imperative statement is an authoritative statement. It is as if James is saying, I'm going to give you my advice, and uh, I really could care less about your emotions. You know, if you're going to give good advice, you have to be able to deprioritize people's emotional response. And James gets right at it. He is very direct, but again, it is all for our good. So with that introduction, let's look at the first five verses of chapter one. And it says here, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, or diaspora, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any one of you... Uh, lacks wisdom, if any of you rather lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. I want you to see James's directness right out the gate. He starts by giving us, after his introduction of himself and who he is writing this to, his original audience, he gives us this advice. And what is his advice? The big idea of this text is count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, on the surface, that does not feel like good advice. But my friends, James is about to prove to us the importance and the power of attitude when we are facing adversity. James knows that it's not easy to go through trials. As a matter of fact, here's what the big idea is of these five verses. The premise is simply this, that trials are unavoidable, but growth is a choice. You're not going to be able to make it through life without trials. How many, by the show of hands, are going through a trial right now? Maybe the trial of your life. Come on, show me your hands, right? Many of us, in particular in 2020, are going through a trial. But let me just explain to you, there's only three seasons of life. Either you are just coming out of a trial, or you're in a trial, or you're about to enter into a trial. I don't want to discourage you because if James is right, we should not hear that statement with discouragement, but we should hear it with joy. Now, for James, joy is not some shallow happiness. That's not what he's talking about, or some shallow emotionalism. For, jo- for uh, James, rather, joy is a confidence. It is the confidence of knowing that I am blessed regardless of my circumstances, regardless of the things that are temporal and shifting because of the things that are enduring and unchanging. 
And what James challenges us to is to choose our attitude. How many know you can do that? You have the authority to choose your attitude. The advice that James gives that doesn't feel good on the surface, but is really good advice for bad times, has been echoed by Christians throughout church history and even in a contemporary sense that we can choose our attitudes. Here's what James argues is that when we're going through adversity, more often than not, our attitudes determines our outcome. Your attitude will determine your outcome. It won't change the fact that you have to go through the adversity. You're going to have to go through whether you have a good or a bad attitude. But if you have the attitude that James is recommending, this count it all joy type of attitude, when you come out, you will reap the blessing that God has intended for that trial. We'll get back to that blessing in just a moment. But I can't help but to think of the power of attitude. And when I do, I think about uh, this uh, great preacher who I appreciate, maybe some of you know, Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll is uh, a preacher out of the Dallas, Texas area. He's been doing it for a, a long, long time. He's forgotten more sermons than most preachers will ever preach. But he has this famous poem called Attitude. If you have never read it, I would encourage you to do so. And in that poem, Jay, uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll says this. He says that the older I get, the more I realize the impact of attitude on my life. He closes the poem by saying that I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to what happens to you. And here's the good news, you can choose your attitude. My friends, that's the good news. You can choose your attitude. And what James wants us to do is to choose an attitude of joy or blessedness, this recognition that I am blessed even in the midst of difficult situations. And if ever there was a difficult year, it's the year that is. 2020 will go down in history as maybe the year that marked the lives of many of us. Uh, challenges of biblical proportions, and that's not an overstatement. Unprecedented issues of grief and economic insecurity and loss and all of these things that I don't need to rehearse for you. So I think this is appropriate advice for the season that we're in. But James doesn't give us this advice without backing it up. He says, count it all joy as an authoritative bit of advice, but he gives us three reasons why we should. The first reason is seen in verse number three. And his argument is this, is that God uses trials to produce endurance. Did you see that? Look at verse number three. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance or endurance. Here's what James is after. He wants you to be able to have an accurate assessment of where you stand in your faith towards Christ. Now, in order to understand the power of this verse, you have to know how our brother James defines the terms. So what is faith to James? What faith is to James is simply trusting the testimony of, of God's character and his promises. It's trusting what Scripture has said already about God's character and his promises. So let me ask the question that the verse begs us to ask. How are you doing at that? 
How are we doing at trusting that God is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do? Not just in the good times, but here's what James is after, that we would trust him even in the bad times. My friends, it is easy to trust God when your bank account is full and your gas tank is full and your belly is full. It's easy to trust God in the good times, but what James wants is for us to have endurance, a faith that is strong enough to remain strong and trusting in God when those things aren't there, when economic challenges are present, when our physical health is being challenged, when things around us are going in an unexpected, uninvited way, James wants us to have faith. But he wants us to start by knowing where we stand right now. Um, it's been a while since I've been to a mall, but I remember that uh, growing up that malls used to have these maps and you kind of uh, come into a mall and you're kind of looking for where you want to go. Where's the store of where you want to go? But it always started with a dot and that little dot would say, this is where you are right now. This is where you are now. James wants to get us to a destination of mature faith, but he starts by saying, this is where you are right now. Well, how do you know where you are right now? Let's just take a quick poll. How many would say that you have strong trust in God, that you trust God? Come on, raise your hand if that's true of you. Some of you know it's a setup question, so you refuse to participate. You're smart. I am setting you up because what James says is that this is not academic. This is not up for debate. There's one sure-fired way for you to know where you stand. Well, how do I know? It's through the tests. It's the trials. It's the testing of our faith. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith is producing something. The joy is not over the trial per se. The, the joy is over what is being produced as a result of the trial, according to James. Two things are being produced. The first is a real understanding of where I am and my faith towards God. Uh, this season, hopefully, has been a season where you've learned a lot about yourself. This has been a season where I've learned a lot about myself. You know, my dad was a teacher for 27 years. And he used to have this saying, Chris, to, to, to me, he would say, Chris, uh, every test, no matter what the test is, always accomplishes two things. It reveals or affirms what you know, and it exposes what you don't know. That's what a test does. A test only does those two things. It reveals what you know or what is true about you, and it exposes what is not true about you. James doesn't want us to have a false understanding of who we are, and so he says to us, it's in your trials where you discover who you really are. But there's a second thing that's happening in those tests. God is producing something. What is he producing? He is producing endurance. How do you get to a place where you can endure persecution? How do you get to a place where you can endure setbacks? Have you ever seen people who have the strength of character to get knocked down and get back up again? How many want to be those types of people? How many want to be those type of people that when life throws a knockout punch, you don't stay down on the canvas, but you get back up again? A righteous man 
He falls down seven times, but he gets back up again. This is the definition, friends, of success. It's not that you won't get knocked down, but hopefully you have the endurance to get back up again. That is what James says happens incrementally through each trial that you go through. You don't get to the place where you can endure the real tough stuff of life unless you go through these tests leading up to it. So each one of the trials that you've gone through this year has only made you stronger. What James anticipates, what you and I should anticipate, is that as long as I live, there is tougher stuff that's on the way. As a matter of fact, unless Jesus returns, what we do know is that it's appointed to all of us, it's appointed to man once to die. We know that there are tougher days ahead, but how do we uh, in, encounter those days with a strength or faith that is unshakable. How do we encounter those days where even we can look at the transition of life with joy? It's through these incremental tests that we go through called trials. You may not know it, but God's been using 2020. You may not realize it, but he's been using the challenges in our lives in this season to produce within us an endurance so that when the next trial comes, you can say, I've been there, I've done that, I know God is faithful. And how many can look back over your life now and say, if he kept me through my yesterday, I know he'll be faithful today and that he will see me home. How many have that confidence in our great God? Amen. But then he goes on to uh, teach us a second point, and that is we should count it all joy when we meet trials of many kind. Why? Because God uses trials to mature and perfect our faith. Look at verse number four. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James says, don't short circuit the process. Hang in there. Don't run when things get tough because you won't see the full benefit if you do. He understands that our temptation is to jettison our uh, situation whenever things get tough. Psychologists put it this way, that there's uh, within us hardwired when we are challenged this uh, proclivity towards either fight or flight. I don't know where you fall in those categories, but far too many of us, when things get tough, we put on our running shoes and we leave. You can't leave just because things get tough. Marriage gets tough. For too many, the answer is, let me just leave the marriage. Job gets tough. For too many, let me just leave the job. Uh, your calling in Christ gets tough. For too many, let me just leave my calling in Christ. My friend, here is the truth of the matter. You will never accomplish anything great in life, let alone for God, if you run every time things get tough. No, you and I, we need endurance. And this is what James wanted for his earl these earliest followers of Jesus. He knew that their lives were tough. We don't know everything about the challenges or the trials they were facing, but there's one word in verse number one that gives us some insight. It's this word dispersion, or some of you have the word diaspora. It means to be scattered abroad. 
These people, these earliest Jewish believers or converts to Christianity, they were uh, uh, a nomadic people. They were scattered often because of persecution in various places where they didn't have power or place or voice or social capital. It left them vulnerable, vulnerable to mistreatment, vulnerable to exploitation, vulnerable to abuse. James addresses some of this throughout his letter where he drills in on how the rich should treat the poor as equals, not as those to be exploited. He wanted the Christian community to reflect something different than the world. But you get the point. They were facing all types of fiery trials. What James said is, I know it's tempting for you to abandon your faith, but don't do it because a payday is coming. If you don't abandon the process, a payoff is coming. Let me just give you some advice. If you're planning on quitting your job, don't quit the day before the paycheck comes. That's not wise. Wait till payday before you quit. And a lot of us, we're, we're, we're in the midst of a trial. God is working out his grace in us. He's producing something within us, according to verse number three. But if you leave the gym early, you won't see the full effect of the workout regimen. If you leave the gym early, you won't reap the full benefit. If you check out early, you won't see your payday. Now, what's the payday according to James? It's not material things, but what is the payday according to James is that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is not getting at sinlessness. He is getting at maturity. He wants us to get to a place where we don't change just because our circumstances change, just because our situation changes. He wants us to get to a place where we can excel even when things are not ideal. You know, I feel for those of you who need organization to function. How many need a clean house to get things done? How many need a clean work environment to get things done? Oh, don't raise your hand, just say ouch. But these are the words of James. Sometimes the environment won't be neat. We live in a fallen world. There will be disorder around you. I know some of you are already starting to sweat. You don't like that talk. But the fact of the matter is, is that he wants us to be prepared for the disorder of life. And when life gets disorderly, don't you dare feel like God has abandoned you. And don't you dare feel like he's left you without the resources you need in order to face the day and to excel in the moment. No, you've been given everything you need, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the truths and the promises of his word. And if we abide with our feet firmly planted in the word of God, if we walk in the power of the spirit, allowing him to lead and guide us, we can survive even when things are not idyllic, even when life throws things at you that seem to be uninvited undesired, unwanted. We can excel. And I think we should set that as a goal. I think part of what James wants for us, part of what I pray is true for us, is that some of us would be at our best when life is at its worst. I don't know if you have that as a goal. I know for a long time in my Christian journey, I didn't. And I remember when that became a goal of mine. 
It was um, years ago, I was at my previous church and we were getting ready to open up a new uh, campus. We were excited and it was the eve of opening uh, this building up and we were, a group of volunteers were there and we were putting kind of final touches on the building and it was exciting and then as evening and turned to night and things were dark, we decided it was time to wrap up and some of the volunteers were leaving and it was then when I heard a crash and I got a call into the building. I was in the building from one of our members saying, Pastor Chris, you need to come. Crystal's been hit by a car. Crystal Knight was her name. She was one of our volunteers. She was a longtime news reporter in this area, just a sweet, sweet sister. And she was helping us that night. And she went out as she was going, walking back to her car and got hit by a hit and run uh, driver. And there she laid in the streets. And I remember hearing uh, the paramedics and the uh, police officers talking among themselves about uh, the question of whether or not Crystal would survive or not. Here's the good news. Crystal did survive. But it wasn't without its challenges. I think in all told, she ended up having about 19 surgeries as a result of that accident. And I remember going to visit Crystal in the hospital. Now, you got to know something about pastors. There are times when we have to fulfill this duty of being a voice of comfort and encouragement, but we ourselves are, are grasping for words. And as I walked into this hospital as a young pastor, I'm struggling, wondering what in the world am I going to say to encourage her? But I know that it's my responsibility. So with a Bible in hand, uh, knees knocking, hands quivering, I walk into her room thinking that I'm going to find something in God's word to encourage her. But little did I know that it was a setup. God turned the tables on me and I thought I was going to encourage her and this turned into a session where she encouraged me. The woman's joy was unshaken. She was absolutely thankful to God for not only preserving her life, but she was celebrating God being good. And here I am crying in her hospital room, and she said, Pastor, don't cry for me. God's been faithful. And I'm looking at this woman saying, whatever she got, I want. I don't know where this is coming from. And so I say to her, Crystal, how are you so full of joy even in this difficult moment? And her response to me, and I'll never forget this, is that, Pastor, I set it as a goal that I want to be able to represent God and be a faithful witness to God just as much in my suffering as I do in my success. How many have that as a goal? You know, that day it became my goal. Yes, I had always wanted to bear faithful witness to Jesus. And I think I knew how to do that when things were going well. But I can't say that prior to that point, I had it as a goal that I want to make sure I'm modeling faithfulness to Christ in suffering. My friends, if you don't have that as a goal, I want to encourage you to have it now that you will strive to be at your best by God's grace when things are at their worst. This is what the world needs to see. They need to see that faith in Christ makes a difference, that we don't go through this world as those who have no hope, but we do have an enduring hope, and hope has a name. And how many know his name is Jesus? Don't quit before payday. Then in verse number five, he gives us a third and final point, and that is we should have joy because God uses trials to give us wisdom for the future. Here's what he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives 
generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James anticipates that life is going to throw things our way that exceeds our level of wisdom, that outstrips our resources, that is beyond our strength. But he is saying, even in that, even when life throws something at you that exposes that you are finite and not infinite, don't worry because God has resources beyond your natural strength. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Now again, this verse begs a question, am I wise? Now I won't set you up again. I'm tempted to ask you to raise your hand if you think you're wise. My fear is that far too many of us will raise our hands. But how do you know you're wise? James doesn't leave it up for debate. He defines wisdom for us. Turn one page over to chapter 3. In James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, he defines wisdom for us. This is akin to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, defining love for us. Here's what wisdom is for James. When he asks you, are you wise, here's what he's getting at. Verse 13 of chapter 3 of James, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness or humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to wisdom, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Notice what James is saying. I don't want you to bear false witness. In other words, I don't want you to think you're wise when you're not. And so I'm going to define wisdom for you. And I want you to pay close attention that he defines wisdom by certain character qualities that we exhibit in our relationship towards others. That one of the ways you know you're wise is by the character qualities you exhibit in your relationship towards others. Look for just a moment at these character qualities. Again, verse number 17. When you think about how you are in relationship towards others, let me ask this question. Do you find that you are pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits? Are you impartial? Are you sincere? Let's be honest, our culture does not celebrate these qualities. Our culture does not celebrate these qualities. And even worse, the fact of the matter is, is increasingly so, these are looked at even by many Christians as weak attributes. But not according to James. According to James, if you find that you have these in your heart, in your relationship to people, even in difficult times, then you are wise. But if you find that you are full of bitterness and jealousy, and selfish ambition. Not only are you unwise, but there will be disorder in your life and every vile practice. But here's the good thing. 
Maybe your trials did not bring out the best in you. Maybe 2020, a year of pandemics, health crises, economic instability, grief and loss. Maybe it didn't bring out the best of you. Maybe you didn't find yourself being gentle and joyful and kind and reasonable. Maybe you found yourself being bitter and jealous and angry. Well, if you lack wisdom, going back to James chapter 1, verse number 5, what should you do? Well, if anyone any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. Here is the point, my friends, is that one of the benefits of our trials is that it exposes our needs, which hopefully will drive us into the arms of a gracious and generous God. How many thank God that in our trials, when we see ourselves at our worst, that God doesn't abandon us, but he welcomes us into his arms with grace, with love, and with mercy. How many thank God that that's the type of God we serve? Don't be like Adam. Don't run from God in your mistakes, but run to God in your mistakes, knowing that he gives graciously, generously, and here's the kicker, without finding fault. That's what makes him a better dad than me. See, I don't mind blessing my kids, but I'm going to give them a little lecture on the side. But God, without finding fault, gives graciously the things that we lack in our character so that we can have the strength to endure whatever life throws our way, so that we won't change just because our circumstances change. So my friends, count it all joy. Not because we're just kind of into trials, but count it all joy because what the trials are producing is something that the world can't give and the world can't take away. An enduring trust and faith in God that will bear witness to a watching world and if we have this type of unchanging faith, God will use it to draw others to Christ. Others will say, I want what you have. And I pray that that will be true for you and for me. Let's all stand together. I agree with James's premise. Hopefully you've lived long enough too as well that trials are unavoidable. But here's the good news. Growth is a choice choose growth today. Let's pray. Father, there may be someone in here that's been going through the trial of their life, and I don't want to minimize that. There may be someone watching online that's uh, home, not by choice, but because of what circumstances have produced. Lord, I pray that they would hear loud and clear that you are with them, that you are Emmanuel, and that you love us. Lord, I pray, the Lord, that our attitude would not be earthly, but it would be through the vantage point of heaven, that we would see trials different than we did before we knew you, that we would see them as opportunities to bear witness to the things that we know and to apply what we have learned. Father, I pray that you would strengthen those who feel weak in this moment. And maybe there's someone here, the Lord, that is um, not even sure why they're here. Maybe there's someone watching that knows they need help, I pray that they would know that that help is found in you, that everything we need is found in you. So today, may this message, this reminder, drive us into the loving arms of a gracious and generous Father. And may we remember that no matter what comes our way, that God is good. We thank you for that truth in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen and amen. Hey, if you're in need of prayer, I will stick around up front. We'll be happy to pray with you. Also, if you're online and you need to connect, just type connect into the comment section. And our team, I promise you, will follow up with you. We love to wrap our arms around you. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.